0: There's three passages of scripture that specifically say, quote, this is the will of God. So today we're going to look at those three passages of scripture and you're going to go home and you're going to know the will of God for you, for each and every one of us. Now, there's other passages that talk about God's will and I know that, but I'm just focusing in on the three that specifically say this is the will of God. First one, first Thessalonians three, uh, four verses three and four. This is the will of God, that you should be holy, that you should avoid sexual immorality. So I'm home watching TV. I like TV. It's the one place I can go and just relax. Because I've got one of those minds that doesn't turn off. I need medication, and I don't take it. (laughs) So instead, I watch TV, and I just... So I'm watching TV. You know, I like Discovery Channel. I like National Geographic. And then there's some shows I like. You know, I like Pawn Stars and Antiques Roadshow. I've got my shows. I try to avoid the skanky shows, you know. Oh, but this is so good, Steve. Not for me. I don't watch it. But what about the commercials? So I'm watching TV. And a hamburger commercial comes on. Innocent as innocent can be. So why didn't she have clothes on? She was like... Partially dressed and the camera zooming in her dripping over the hamburger. I couldn't find the remote control fast enough resist temptation The Bible tells us to be holy and to be sexually pure and yet our society Bombards us with sex. It's hard to stay faithful to God in our hearts, let alone in our bodies This is the will of God that you should be holy that you should avoid sexual immorality so they took a, a survey. In 1983, they saw that 15% of commercials used sex to sell, you know, scantily dressed women and all this kind of thing. You, you want to do something fun? Turn off the volume on your TV. And when the next commercial comes up, try to figure out what they're selling. You know, scantily dressed woman, walking, holding a man, breathing into the wind, life insurance, <laughs> you know? They just put up a pretty woman because it knows it'll get people's attention. Well, let me tell you, I was not more inclined to shop at Carl's Jr. I was less inclined. They're gonna go skanky and help pollute our society. I don't want to give them my business. I'm mad at them. Don't do that. It's not nice. So anyway, 1983, 15% of commercials use sex to sell. uh, 20 years later, in 2003, went up to 27%. That was 2003. What's it today? 10 years later. I couldn't find stats. I can't imagine it's gotten any better. All ads in general, 1983, 11% used sexy women. 2003, 22%. Doubled. Our society is bombarding us with a message opposite of God's. God wants us to have one partner for life. And I wondered how many partners the typical American has and I looked up the statistics. The typical guy has seven. And when I saw this statistic, I was like, hey, that's not so bad. I figured it'd be a lot worse. And I was like, wait a minute. God said one. That's seven. That's horrible. And the fact that I thought that wasn't so bad showed me how much I was affected by my culture. I just thought it was going to be a lot worse. But it's still bad. Think of it this way. Thou shalt not murder. I've only killed seven right? One partner for life. Seven is not acceptable. Typical American man, seven. Typical American woman, four. Now, somebody's got to do the math and explain that to me, but typical gay, hundreds, hundreds of partners. So I'm telling you, we are not doing what God wants us to do in our society and in our culture. Be holy, avoid sexual immorality, Here's what the Bible says about sex. Old Testament, there's a lot. I'm just going to talk about a little piece of it. Marriage in particular. Premarital sex. Exodus 22:16. If a man seduces a virgin who is not engaged and sleeps with her, he must pay the bride price and marry her. Pay the dowry and marry her. Premarital sex, not allowed. But if you have it, you have to get married. That's what God told the children of Israel through Moses back in the day it's not right to do, but that's the way you make it right. Does that make sense? And in our culture, there used to be a lot of people following that. They would have premarital sex, somebody get pregnant, they get married, make an honest woman out of her, that kind of a thing. Nowadays, they don't even do that. They don't even support the baby anymore. You know, woman gets pregnant, she's on her own. Not good. So we jump from the Old Testament to the New Testament. Listen, marriage should be honored by all, and the marriage bed kept pure, for God will judge the adulterer and all the sexually immoral. See, sex is a gift from God to us, but it's reserved for marriage. Sex outside of marriage is a crime. It's a sin. It's forbidden. It's not allowed. And yet we're in a sex-saturated culture, so how do we overcome? How do we keep the right course? By the way, it's Father's Day today. You dads who have set the example for your children, by being faithful to your wife, good for you. You're doing what God wants you to do, kudos. And you're giving them the capacity to do what God wants them to do because you've set the bar, good for you. Well, we do live in a bad culture, but there is a strat- strategy for s- success in the Bible, and uh, it's only got two parts, so I'm going to share it with you. First one is kind of a no-brainer, but in our culture it's a brainer. People don't ever think about it. How do we say sexually holy in our culture? Marriage. That's how. Marriage. Listen to what the Bible says. 1 Corinthians 7, 9. If you cannot restrain your desires, go ahead and marry. It's better to marry than to burn or burn with passion. So in our culture, we want to push off marriage. Oh, I want to get my education. I want to get my career started. I want to get my yacht and my... What? I don't know. We just think marriage should be put off. And yet, the Bible says, better to marry than to burn with passion. Better to marry than to commit fornication. That's God's way. We have elevated education over holiness. And we've educated uh, elevated income over holiness. That's not God's way. God's way is, yes, He's given us passions, and He's given us a way to, in a godly way, deal with those passions. Marriage. When we avoid marriage, we end up screwing up in that department. Marriage is a good and godly thing. First Corinthians 7 talks more about that. There is so much immorality. Every man should have his own wife, and every woman should have her own husband. There's your solution to immorality. Get married and be faithful. A man should fulfill his duty as a husband, and a woman should fulfill her duty as a wife, and each should satisfy the other's needs. If you're faithful in your marriage and you're meeting each other's needs, then there will be no infidelity, there will be no fornication. A wife is not the master of her own body, but her husband is. And in the same way, a husband is not master of his own body, but the wife is. So the number one strategy for sexual purity and holiness is getting married. Verse 3 said, this is the will of God, that you should be holy, that you should avoid sexual immorality. Verse 4 says this, and it gives us our next piece of strategy. Each of you should learn to control his own body in a way that's holy and honorable. Strategy number two is self-control. Look at the monitor. Self-control. I may not be the greatest example, but I do change the channel. If I see a movie and there's something inappropriate that comes on the screen, I look away. I look at the bottom corner of the screen until that scene's over. If I'm there with my wife, I say, tell me when I can look. That's how I do it. But usually, I don't even go to those movies. I'll look them up online. And if it's inappropriate, I just won't go. But if they slip something in there, I didn't quite catch it, I just turn away. Tell me when I can look. Do I like looking at pretty women? Of course I do. That's why I don't look. It's inappropriate. Self-control. Number one, marriage. Number two, self-control. First will of God passage that we should be holy and avoid sexual immorality. Second will of God passage, 1 Thessalonians 5:18. Give thanks in everything, for this is the will of God in Jesus Christ for you. Give thanks in everything. Being thankful is God's will for us. I am not the king of that club. I'm a griper, and I know that about myself and I try not to do it. It's in my DNA. So the other day I woke up and I'm brushing my teeth, spitting in the sink, using the water to wash off my face. and thinking, you know what? How nice is it that I have water in my sink right there where I brush my teeth? And I thank God for running water. I realize that when I'm down and feeling blue, I start thinking of the things I'm thankful for and it brings me right back up again. Because when we're down, we're focusing on the bad things. You know, my cat died. I lost my job. I'm thinking about how, how bad life is for me. But start thinking about how good life is for you. What I want you to do right now is just take a moment in your brain and come up with something you're thankful for. Now, don't say your wife, your children. I don't want it to be easy for you. I want you to come up with something you take for granted, like the water. Let me give you another example to get your mind working. I'm walking through Israel the first time, tour leader, It's, you know, 100 degrees out. We're hot. We're sweaty. We've been out in the sun for hours. Tour leader stops, takes off his hat, and goes, ah, God, thank you for the breeze. Wow, that was an education for me right there. Whoever thought to stop and thank God for a cool breeze? The rabbis did. It's a great lesson. So what I'm suggesting is if you're like me and a complainer or you're a little discouraged in life, or heck, just to do the will of God. It says give thanks in a lot of stuff. Give thanks in everything. You could go throughout your day. You know, I'm driving in my car. Thank you, God, that I've got a car. And then it works. And the t- tank is full. And it has air conditioning. Oh, thank God for the air conditioning. You just think for a couple of minutes. You can come up with something in your own head. And it is the will of God that you do. Give thanks in everything. To help you grow in the will of God in this area, I'm going to ask Michael to turn off the lights. I have a video clip I'd like to share with you. I'm struggling. Show me what I have to be thankful for. struggling. Show me what I have to be thankful for. Can you relate? Hopefully not anymore. For this is the will of God that we should be thankful to give thanks in everything. Holiness, thankfulness, and the third passage, 1 Timothy 2.15. For this is the will of God, that by doing good, you may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men. This is the will of God. Shut up, idiots. By doing good. But you know, when the Bible says, do good, that's kind of a big bill to fill. I mean, what what does that specifically mean? In the context, it breaks it down for us. So there's all sorts of good you can do. But it gives us three things that will help silence foolish people three things that God wants us to do. Let me read to you the passages in the context, see if you can pick them out, and then I'll tell you what they are. 1 Peter 2, 11 through 13. Dear friends, I urge you as aliens and strangers in the world to abstain from sinful desires which war against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. Submit yourselves, for the Lord's sake, to every authority instituted among men. Three things. Abstain from sinful desires that war against your soul. Two, live good, commendable lives. And number three, submit to the authorities. So it says, abstain from sinful desires which war against your soul. That's the first one. Well, what kind of desires war against our soul that we need to abstain from? Scripture doesn't make us guess. It tells us. There's a list of them. They're in Galatians. I'll just read them to you. So I say, live by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the sinful nature. The acts of the sinful nature are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity, and debauchery. That's a word we don't use today, debauchery. What's that mean? It can mean a lot of things. Filthy behavior or shameful behavior. Doing shameful things, that's debauchery. Um, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. So abstain from desires that war against the soul. That was a list of them. On the other hand, number two says live good lives, commendable lives. And there's a list of those things, too, from Galatians 5. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. All right, so there's three will of God passages about holiness and sexual purity, about self-control, and about being thankful. Uh, Sexual purity, being thankful, and doing good, pardon me. The three parts of doing good are abstaining from sinful desires, living good and commendable lives, and then the third one, submitting to authorities. There's a passage of Scripture in the Old Testament First introduces this concept, and I've heard sermons and I've read articles about submission before. I've seen passages of Scripture, you know, expounded on, but very rarely do they reference this passage of Scripture, which is shame because it's foundational to all the others. You know, people are too quick to dismiss the Old Testament. Listen to what it says: Exodus twenty-two twenty-eight. Do not despise God, or curse the ruler of your people. Now this is parallelism. You could almost say, don't despise God, don't despise the ruler of your people. Honor God, honor your leaders. That's what it says. Do not despise God or curse the ruler of your people. The idea here is respect, which is the foundation for submission. Now, I know a lot of people always say, hey, I respect you when you deserve respect. No, there are certain people in lives God, God tells us to respect. Whether they deserve it or not is irrelevant. They get respect. What do you mean respect? Well, you don't speak poorly of them. If they tell you what to do, you do it. You humble yourself in their presence. That's what I mean by respect. You honor them. That doesn't mean you respect the bad that they do. That doesn't mean if they try to make you do bad that you do it. No, of course not. But there are certain people in leadership who get respect. The first ones mentioned in the Bible are parents, moms and dads. And we're always supposed to respect our parents. Even when you're 50 and they're 70. you still honor your parents. What does that mean? Well, it may not mean they tell you where to get a work, where to get a job and who to marry. Maybe they can't confine you to your house, but you go out of your way to call them, see how they're doing, to spend time with them. Maybe have lunch with them a couple times a week. And you let them pick. And then when they want to tell you the story about their childhood for the 13th time, you say, you know what? I've heard this one before, but it gets better with every telling. Tell me again. They're not telling you for the 13th time because they remember the other 12. They're not sure they told you. So respect. Don't say, Mom, you're losing your mind. Don't do that. That's disrespectful. Say, Mom, I've already heard that one respectful. You see? just talking about how you treat people. The Torah says, do not despise God or curse the ruler of your people. Now, the Apostle Paul, in my opinion, and you probably agree with me, when he was walking the planet, there was no one closer to God. He was the highest man on the spiritual totem pole. There was nobody higher than the Apostle Paul. But Paul lived part of his life during the time that the Levitical priesthood was still in order, and he was a citizen of Israel. And Israel had elected officials, including the high priest, who was the highest. So here we have the apostle Paul and the high priest of Israel, and they butted heads. Listen to what happened. Paul looked straight at the Sanhedrin, and he said, My brothers, I have fulfilled my duty to God in all good conscience to this very day. At this, the high priest, Ananias, ordered those standing near Paul to smack him in the mouth. Then Paul said to him, God will strike you, you whitewashed wall. You sit here to judge me according to the law, yet you yourself violate the law by ordering me to be struck. Paul was mad. Righteously so. Somebody smack him in the mouth for no good reason, and he called the high priest a whitewashed wall. Now, I don't know what that means in today's language. But he cursed them out in their language. Those who were standing near Paul said, You dare to insult God's high priest? Paul said, Listen, brothers, I did not realize he was the high priest. It's written, Do not speak evil about the ruler of your people. He quoted the passage I read to you. Paul, the great apostle, the highest man on the planet in God's eyes, humbled himself before the high priest and admitted he'd done wrong. He cursed him, but didn't realize it was him. And he ate crow. If the apostle Paul can do that to an evil priest, who on this planet can you not respect because God demands that you do so? And he demands it. Listen, Romans 13 everyone must submit himself to the governing authorities, because there is no authority except that which God has established. The authorities that exist have been established by God. You understand, when Paul wrote this, Rome was in power. They were tyrannical. And if Paul says, obey the Romans, you know he would tell you to obey the government today. Our government, everybody says our government's horrible. It's not horrible. We've got one of the greatest governments on the planet in the, in the world's history. Does it have serious problems? Oh, you bet it does. Is it trying to pull us away from God? Many of the, our leaders are. And we need to pray for them and replace them on election day without a doubt. But thank God that Stalin isn't our leader or Nebuchadnezzar or Nero. We've got it really good. All we do is complain. Stop complaining. Start praying. Give thanks for what we do have and pray for these guys. They need our prayer. Consequently, the verse continues, he who rebels against the authority is rebelling against what God has instituted. And those who do so will bring judgment on themselves. So I'm watching all this news about what's going on in Turkey. You know? All these turkeys thrown... All these turkeys. LAUGHTER all these Turks throwing firebombs and rocks at the cops. Now, I don't know anything about their government, but I'm on the cop side. Why? Because this passage of scripture, those are the authorities. You're not just allowed to go and start throwing bottles and bricks at cops and tell the government you. That's that's not allowed. That's wrong. So when they said, hey, the police have stormed the the park and have come in with gas masks and tear guns and gotten everybody out of there. I'm like, you go, guys. Get that nonsense under control. No, rebellion is not good. Are there exceptions? I'm sure there are. But why is it we're always looking for the exception? Because we don't like the rule. God's rule is submit to the authorities. So how do we apply respecting our leaders in this culture? First of all, I already told you, if you don't like them, vote them out and pray for them. But don't speak poorly about them to your friends and family, don't tell jokes, don't belittle the president. It's wrong to insult the president, tell a joke about Barack Obama to your friends. That's wrong, don't do that. I'm not saying like him, I'm not saying approve of him. I'm saying don't curse the ruler of your people. You know, I didn't vote for him the first time, I didn't vote for him the second time. And I'm glad in this country, we get two shots at the office. But you know what? I'm not hopeful that the next guy is gonna be any better. You know? I'm not the president. I'm not a senator. I've got very little say as to what goes on in this nation. I vote the best I can, and I pray. And I don't put down the government. And I don't like listening to the radio shows that do. They insult. They use bad names. They tell jokes. It's inappropriate. It's a lack of respect for those God has put in authority. If we want to change things, we need to do it with dignity and respect. Three will of God passages. Our holiness, abstaining from sexual immorality, giving thanks in everything, and doing good. And part of doing good, it had three parts to it. Abstaining from sinful desires, living good commendable lives, and submitting to authorities. This is the will of God for you. So I'd encourage you to go home and grow in these areas. There's another passage that uses the phrase will of God. It doesn't say this is the will of God. I use those up. But it's another one that talks about the will of God that I want to send you home with, because it's not something that we're supposed to do. It's something that God does for us. The world, I'm in 1 John 2:17. The world and everything in it that people desire is passing away. But those who do the will of God live forever. God has given us eternal life. It's a gift. It's not on this side, thank God, who'd want to live here forever, this place is a mess. But it's on the other side, when he fixes everything, and life is going to be good, and we'll live in that life forever. When I was in Israel, we were in the Dead Sea, and I wanted to show everybody how buoyant the water was. So I laid on my stomach lifted my hands over my head, and then picked up my feet. So I was like bobbing on this part of my body. I mean, that's just unbelievable. Got some pictures. Lifeguard says, hey, on your back. What? There's a rule. You can't lay on your stomach in the Dead Sea. I'm like, why? You can't drown here. You'd have to try to drown. Stupid rules. I don't understand. A few minutes later, a lifeguard just hanging out in the water. He's on his break or patrolling from the water. I don't know. He's hanging out with us. So I said, I don't understand. You can't drown in this water. Why is there a rule that you can't be on your stomach? He said, well, there's some people, he said, they, they kind of, they're not as comfortable in water, and they panic, and they end up on their face, and they swallow a mouthful of water, and then they die, some within a half an hour, not from drowning, from swallowing a mouthful of dead sea water. There's a reason it's called the Dead Sea. A mouthful of it will kill you. And if you're old, it'll kill you within half an hour. Thank God for lifeguards, huh? Who'd have thought? I didn't think I need no stupid lifeguard. I don't need no lifeguard. But I, I had no clue. I didn't know it was that dangerous. I knew you couldn't drink this stuff or it would kill you, but a mouthful, really? I didn't even think you could get a mouthful by accident. I would have thought you'd have to do it on purpose. Something about lifeguards, though. There are some people in life who are like, I don't need no charity, and I don't need no help. I'll be the first to tell you, everybody needs help now and again. We all need somebody to lean on here and there. And this attitude of I can do it myself is a bad attitude because none of us can do it ourselves. And the reason I share this with you is because the ultimate lifeguard is Jesus Christ, and everybody needs him. This, I can do it myself. No, you can't. You can't get to heaven by yourself. You can't get the sins out of your system by yourself. Only Jesus can do it for you. And so, before I let you go this morning, if you've not made a commitment to turn from your sins and ask Jesus to save you, I'd encourage you to do so. Because the Bible teaches us that, in a way, we've all got a mouthful of dead sea water and we're dying. We've got infected by sin, and only Jesus can save us. He died to take the punishment for our sins, and he promised that he will take sin out of us so we'll no longer have sinful nature. That day's coming. The world and everything in it that people desire is passing away, but those who do do the will of God live forever. Sinless through Jesus. And I'd like to encourage you to join me, because that's where I'm heading. Please join me in prayer. Lord God, thank you for teaching us what your will is for us. We understand you want us to be holy. And it's hard, even when the commercials are teaching us not to be. So help us to be holy, to follow your pattern, faithful marriage, and avoiding sexual immorality, and exercising self-control. Lord, you've given us more than any people have ever had throughout human history, and yet we complain. Forgive me. Help me to be more thankful. Help us to be more thankful, and to follow your will by being thankful and giving thanks in everything. And Lord, that by doing good, we would put to silence ignorant people. Well, help us to do good, Lord, to submit, to be an example in our submission to authorities by doing li- living good lives, and by abstaining from those things that war against our souls. God, we want to do these things. Help us to do them, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.